The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 445. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to McClanahan Academy. It's always free to enroll, mcclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll, 10 Myths of American History, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. You get good coupons. You're on that email list. Look, you don't get a tremendous amount of email from me. You'll get an email from my regular email list about once, once uh, Monday through Thursday, typically. And then when I'm running a class, a sale, you're going to get a little bit more than that. So don't get rid of me. Don't ditch me because you get a little email. It's the way I keep in touch with you. And it's a way you can contact me back and tell me if you want to hear a particular show or something you like or don't like. I read your emails. I may not respond, but I do read them. You can also support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com, clicking on that support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way. Get a book plate if you want. Get one of my books. Go to that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Lots of ways to support the show financially. Go to learntruehistory.com, T-R-U-E, Learn True History. Another great way to support the show financially. It's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. Lots of great ways to support this show. Of course, buying a class at McClanahan Academy is a win-win. You get a great class. I've got nearly 20 classes there now for your enjoyment. And they're all awesome. I've got a new one coming out in June, so you're going to want to get that too. It's part three of my Originalist Papers class. So a lot of great stuff happening. got a new book coming out probably within the month. A lot of good stuff happening. But if you're on that email list, you'll know about all of it. And, of course, share this podcast around on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcasts. It's available on just about every major podcast platform you can think of. Rate it there. Let people know you're listening. And always, 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 I appreciate your support, and I appreciate you listening to the show and letting tuning in, letting people know you're, you're thinking locally and acting locally. That's really It really means a lot to me. All right. This is an interesting uh, topic, I think. Because now we're in the, day of, we're in the days of mea culpas, right? You've got... If, if you say something that it, the cancel culture warriors want to take you out for because you said something they don't agree with, they, they try to get rid of you, deplatform you, I don't know, ostracize, whatever they're going to do to you, right? One of the things that's happening for that is that you have major news outlets and publications and, and other, you know, Coca-Cola. I, look, when Coca-Cola came out in favor of or against the Georgia voter law, I don't know if Coca-Cola has ever reconciled the fact that their syrup was invented by a Confederate soldier. I mean, should they have, have they mea culpa that one yet? I mean, the entire company is based on a formula created by John Stife Pemberton, who was a Confederate soldier and who was gravely wounded at the Battle of Columbus in 1865. He invented the product because he was addicted to opium after he was suffering from his wounds to try to get over his opium addiction. But th- he, he did it to help Confederate, former Confederate soldiers, invented in Georgia. 
Columbus, Georgia, and then sold ultimately out to Atlanta. And then, of course, it stayed in Georgia all these years. Or how about uh, I mean, Pepsi Cola or RC Cola? Again, all these soft drink products that were not woke at the time. So where's the mea culpa for that? Now, you can't even get into tobacco products because that is just already horrible. Uh, but, you know, when you got tobacco products and you've got the Duke family and the Reynolds family and all these people that were involved in the, with the Confederacy in one way or another, uh, again, where's the mea culpa in that one? Uh you know, the newspapers, if they're a, a newspaper in the southern part of the United States and they've been around since the 1860s, chances are they supported the Confederacy. So where is the mea culpa? Well, you don't have to, in, in Britain, they of course weren't involved in this process of needing a mea, I mean, of, of, you know, being on one side or the other because of where they're geographically located. I mean, you can understand, say, Columbus, Georgia, for example, and the Columbus Ledger Inquirer being pro-Confederacy during the war because, of course, it's in Georgia. So chances are it wouldn't really have been that uh, good of an idea to be against the war, though you did have Southerners who wrote newspaper articles against the government and other things. They were pro-independence, but they were against the prosecution of the war and how it was going. So you could find that. But generally, you're not going to find any Southern papers that were pro-Lincoln, for example. So the Brits, you know, they waded in on the topic. And the UK Guardian issued an article. Uh, let's see, when did, they, when did they put this out? Uh, this is May 7th. The title is, What We Got Wrong, The Guardian's Worst Errors of Judgment Over 200 Years. So since 1821, these are the things that they've gotten wrong in their 200-year history. What is one of the biggest ones? Fiercely critical of Abraham Lincoln. One of the biggest things where they had problems. Their critique of Abraham Lincoln. So let me read from this article, and then I'm going to go to the actual one of the actual uh, articles from the paper from 1865. I think this is the part they got right. I mean, but see, this is this is woke cancel culture. Well, if you say anything about Abraham Lincoln, that's bad. Well, you're not woke enough, even though. I mean, this is the neoconservatives believe this. The left believes this. Even though the left can be critical of Lincoln, they can call him a guy who really wasn't. Uh, interested in anything but his own race, or uh, they can say he's he's not hard enough on slavery, whatever it is. And some of this stuff is true, right? I mean, look, Lincoln was a racist. Lincoln didn't really believe in, uh, at least at the beginning of the war, in ending slavery. He just tied up in the South. Eventually it would end there. He was against slavery, but he certainly uh, was in favor of colonization up until the day he died. And I know somebody emailed, you're wrong about that. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Read Phil Magnus. Uh, he sent me an article. This, you're wrong about Lincoln and colonization. No, I'm not. Phil Magnus went out and looked at sources nobody else has looked at before in other areas, and Lincoln was pursuing it up until the day he died of colonization. This is what he wanted to do. So in that case, you know, the 1619 Project and others, I mean, they're right on Lincoln here. But this is what The Guardian has to say. Victorian liberalism was beset by double standards. While Asians could not be trusted with self-determination, Americans could be. 
More than 150 years ago, the paper believed that the southern U.S. states had the right to secede. Well, of course they did. (laughs) Any people have a right to self-determination at any time. Now they're saying this is wrong. Well, they had said it was against, uh, they were against Indian independence because that was part of the empire. Now here's here's the situation. In that situation, the Indian mutiny, as they call it, the Sepoy mutiny, was, part, was against the empire. I can guarantee you, if the Guardian was writing in 1776, they wouldn't have believed that the American colonists had the right to self-determination because they would have been part of the empire. This had to do with the, with the view of the empire, not necessarily race, even though they did say that they had inherent superiority over the Indian population there. But it had more to do with politics, I think, than anything else. However... They thought that these the Confederacy certainly had the right to do so. It suspected that a free Confederacy would prosper and claimed it was entitled to freedom as the Hungarians were when they had broken away from Austria in 1849. I mean, this is where the Guardian got it right. They got it right. But no, no. No. That's not correct. You can't say the Confederacy had a right to self-determination. That's heresy. Because the Confederacy equals evil. The Guardian reasoned that the breakup of the U.S. would hasten the end of slavery, which it despised. This view was shared by William Gladstone of the Liberal Party, who would be Prime Minister four times. So the Guardian thought that the war would bring an end to slavery. Now, how could they think that? Or at least I should say, the the not the war itself, but the independence of the South to bring an end to slavery. Well, how could they make that assumption? I thought the independence of the Confederacy was going to keep slavery around forever. It was never going to go away. If the South secedes, we're always going to have slavery. In fact, we'd still have it today in 2021. If the Confederacy lived, there would be no end of slavery ever in the Southern states. But the Guardian saying, no, 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 no. This is gonna this is actually going to hasten the abolition of slavery. Because it bottles it up. It can't continue to succeed without expansion. So maybe this will keep it from expanding. I mean, look, this is this is the argument. Yeah, people knew that. The South, of course, was well aware that if they didn't expand it out for power reasons, they were going to face problems in the future. It's also why they wanted Cuba and some of the other South American uh, colonies to become part of the United States because that would give them more slave states. Now, again, it was about power. It wasn't just about expanding the institution, though there were some advocates who thought that expanding the institution, and this is one thing you get into these things, right? Would slavery have ended in 1880 or 90 or 1900? Who knows when it would have ended? I don't know. So There were some Southerners certainly interested in the side of it that it could adapt to other circumstances, whether it was industrial or something else. Uh, this is Eugene Genovese and his... Uh, the mind of the master class. He was looking at that. Well, I mean, these progressive Southerners thought that slavery could continue in other ways. They certainly thought it. They believed it. It wasn't necessarily always destined to be a plantation system, though, of course, that was the way that you made money most readily with it. But could it not be adapted to an industrial environment or something like that? I mean, this is where they thought it was a labor system. Some Southerners thought it was a labor system that was suitable for the progressive era. 
I mean, all of this stuff was happening. Now, I would say they were a minority of Southerners, and they were a minority of people in the United States, but they certainly were there. The paper support for the Confederacy led to a loathing of Abraham Lincoln that today seems petty and shameful. Why? Lincoln was awful. I mean, why is that petty and shameful? How about it was accurate and descriptive? For the Guardian of the 1860s, Lincoln was a fraud who treated emancipation of the slaves as negotiable because it stood in the way of U.S. unity. Well, this is true. Lincoln said, if I, if I could save the Union by freeing one slave, I would do it. All the slaves, I would do it. No slaves, I would do it. Lincoln's primary goal was saving the Union. He said it from the beginning. The war was not about slavery, either preservation or abolition of the institution. The war was about preventing secession. It was about maintaining the Union. That was what the war was about. In 1862, reflecting on his election the previous year, the paper said, quote, It is impossible not to feel that it was an evil day for both America and the world. Well, that's true. Three years later, an editorial on the president's assassination scaled new heights of anti-Lincoln mania. Of his rule, we can never speak except as a series of acts abhorrent to every true notion of constitutional right and human liberty. Before tactfully adding, it is doubtless to be regretted that he had not the opportunity of vindicating his good intentions. So, they, they bring this up at the end. In fact, I'm going to read this editorial piece because uh, it's, it's interesting. It's really interesting. This is a long article. It says this, Among the constant surprises of which the American struggle has been full, none has equaled the shocking intelligence which threw the political and commercial world of England into consternation yesterday. A great crime has occurred to upset all calculations and revive the excitement which appeared to be rapidly and unexpectedly subsiding. It has always been one of the weaknesses of absolute monarchies that the success of the policy on which their energies are bent should be perilously dependent on the life of a single individual. We are now probably about to learn that republics, especially when they so far depart from the principles on which they were founded, as to become despotisms in practice, are not exempt from the same danger. Now think about what the Guardian is saying there. First of all, this is April 27, 1865. The Guardian is saying that in our system of absolute monarchies, hereditary monarchies, the success of the state is, is based on an individual. Well, that's the case here in America, and they're going to sh- explain why at the end of this little editorial. But now republics are pursuant to that. Why? Because Lincoln has become a despot. Lincoln has become a despot, and because he has all power centralized to him, this is going to create a real problem for the United States. The murder of the President of the United States and the simultaneous or closely subsequent attempt too likely to prove successful in the life of his principal minister are crimes which all upright men of whatever country or party will regard with inexpressible regret and indignant reprobation. The humbling and instructive moral to be drawn from the sudden death of the highly placed ones of the earth in the plentitude of their power and in the flush of triumph may find more fitting exposition in other quarters than in the columns of a newspaper. Reflections appropriate to the occasion crowd on the mind so forcibly in the presence of this event 
as scarcely to need expression. Our task is so far as possible to estimate its political significance by inquiring into the true character and guessing at its effect on the immediate future of the country in whose domestic contentions the whole civilized world is so strangely interested. So short a time has elapsed between the series and acts described in the departures of the mail that very scanty materials are furnished for this, this purpose, and no opinion can be pronounced which will not be liable to correction almost as soon as it is uttered. So they're saying, look, this war has been the attention of the entire civilized world. This great big war. What's going to happen? What's happening? I mean, this is a nasty conflict, and we're interested in it because we've got this despotism. They're calling the United States a despotism. Were there any reason to believe that the deeds of blood perpetrated at Washington on the 14th of April could justly be laid to the charge of the political entity, call it a nation, a party, or what you will, which we have known for the last four years as the Confederates, a profound injury would have been done to their cause. Were there any reason to believe that they had a role in this? Then it would have done... Now, they called it here, we call it a nation, a party, or what you will, but they're calling it an independent entity. We shall venture to affirm at once that few things could be more improbable than this and that nothing is at present more destitute of proof. The civil and military leaders of the South have shown throughout the war an elevation of mind and character, which in the absence of positive evidence to the contrary ought to raise them above the suspicion of investigating or convincing at private assassination. They have fought with undaunted heroism, planned with sleepless perseverance, and suffered with fortitude never surpassed, but neither their acts nor their language have disqualified them from full, for full comparison with the best examples in history, and certainly not with their adversary in all the attributes of humane and generous men. Listen, look how they describe the Confederacy in this piece. The men who led the Confederacy. Heroes. Perseverance. Elevated mind and character. Well, this is where they're saying you can't say this stuff because you can get canceled for saying things positive things about the South nowadays. This is England in 1865. England in 1865. If this was acknowledged to be truth when they were strong, hopeful, and victorious, it would be unpardonable that it should be forgotten at a moment when their fortunes have declined and their downfall under any circumstance appears to be not far from, far distant. We therefore confidently anticipate the distinct repudiation of all share in the crime, which will be heard not only from Mr. Jefferson Davis and his immediate followers, but from the great majority of the Southern people. As soon as the knowledge of it has reached them, and they become aware of the imputation under which they will inevitably be laid. The circumstances of the double or triple murder, so far as they are known, are moreover altogether in favor of the assumption that it had not in its source in the design of any political party, but originated with the fanatic or fanatics by whom it was consummated. This is still some reason to believe that the, there are some reason to believe that the original surmise, according to, to which the assass, assassin of the president was the same person who afterwards penetrated the chamber of Mr. Seward, may have been correct. But while unable to say whether or not this was the fact, we can only deal with the information which we possess respecting at least a single criminal. Of course, we know there were more. They didn't know it at the time writing this. 
The murder of Mr. Lincoln was the son of a once celebrated English actor, himself, it is said, a member of the same calling and not improbably also an Englishman by birth. It is reported, and of course with probability, that he had for some time been previously been seeking an opportunity to wreak a wild political passion in this dreadful manner, but no suspicion of his intention could have been entertained or he would have certainly not have been suffered to remain at large. His demeanor after the, uh, the perpetration of the crime appears to have been indicated that the perverted elation of mind, the symptoms of which in some cases are often to be distinguished with great difficulty, if at all, from those of insanity. So this guy, John Wilkes Booth, is obviously insane, they're saying here. They continued, it's far more easy to speak on this point with a certainty of commanding general assent than to predict the effects of the astounding political catastrophe on the American struggle. One consideration of a painful nature, which though possibly not the most pressing, is among the first to rise in the mind, is to the probable tendency of of such an event still further to embitter what remains of the contest. If the subjugation of the South be only a matter of time, it seems inevitable that the concluding passages of this process should be made even more awful and relentless than otherwise might have been by the rage which the murder of the president will inspire. This inference is the more to be regretted as Mr. Lincoln had shown signs of a moderate and conciliatory disposition, which seemed to prove promise and endeavor so far as to lay in him to improve by a liberal policy the advantage which had been attained by force alone. Of his rule, we can never speak except as a series of acts abhorrent to every true notion of constitutional right and human liberty. But it is doubtless to be regretted for the sake of his country as well as his own that he had not an opportunity of vindicating his good intentions by his manner of consolidating the power he appeared to have gained. So here's what they're saying. This is where the Guardian is having a mea culpa. This guy was an awful dictator during the war. He, he trounced civil liberties. He was terrible. But he had gained all this power, and he certainly was more magnanimous than the uh, individuals in Congress. And so he's not able to follow through and actually have a very lenient policy towards the South. This is creating part of the Lincoln myth that had Lincoln survived, Reconstruction would have been different. Now, I, maybe, I think there's something true to that. But would Lincoln have been able to deal with the Congress in any better way than Andrew Johnson? Now, the paper, the Guardian, doesn't think so. But remember, this is coming from London. This is not coming from somewhere in the South or somewhere in the North. This is a foreign paper commenting on the war. This inference is the more to be regretted as Mr. Lincoln had shown signs of a moderate and conciliatory disposition which seemed to promise an endeavor so far as lay in him to improve by a federal policy the advantages which have been attained by force alone. Okay, excuse me, I already read that. But a further question of extreme urgency is whether by his death the work which must have been one of very great difficulty, even for him, had not been doubled for any possible successor. His character, his four years' experience, and his re-election by overwhelming majorities constituted him a tower of strength for the Republican Party in the United States and for the Northern cause everywhere. It concurrently with his death, if, if uh, concurrently with his death, it should unfortunately prove that the North has also lost irretrievably the services of Mr. Seward, unquestionably the ablest mind and the most determined spirit of the federal cabinet. We conceive it impossible to say what unexpected sources of political confusion may not have been opened. 
and the apprehension of these evils is greatly heightened by the reflection that his decease realizes a prospect which all the best part of the country in regard but a few weeks ago when it appeared only a remote contingency with feelings akin to horror and dismay. The new president of the United States, who was sworn into, into office on the morning after the lamentable tragedy as the at the theater in Washington is, is the coarse and illiterate buffoon who on the 4th of March exhibited himself in a state of intoxication before the eyes of the world and in the face of all the great dignitaries of his country assembled in the Capitol for the performance of the mo- most solemn of national acts. That such a person as Mr. Andrew Johnson can command the confidence which the chief magistrate should possess at such a crisis, the present seems impossible, but the law provides no means but his own act by which he can be removed. In brief, the death of Mr. Lincoln can only benefit the South by the indirect means of introducing a marked change into the disposition, the conduct, or the power of the, of the government of the North, but that result is not impossible. If it be true, as has been said, that America is passing through a revolution rather than a war, these events are calculated great to expedite the movement. So that last line is, is interesting. It was a revolution. It wasn't just a war, it was a revolution, and Lincoln was kicking that off. Now, Lincoln was trying to pull the reins on it. The Republicans in Congress were pulling forth. They were chomping at the bit to remake the South, to punish the South. This is what they wanted to do. Lincoln was trying to rein that in. Of course, Johnson tried to do that too, but he didn't have the political capital. And so what we're seeing in America with the political Puritans, with this new round of Reconstruction in many ways is what we're seeing, this is the unfinished work, as Eric Foner said, of Reconstruction. That's what we're seeing in America today. The unfinished work of Reconstruction. And I think that this article, I mean, this is mea culpa here. Well, we said some bad things about Lincoln. We should, we apologize for that. What for? They were actually right about when, when they wrote this piece. They were right about what they were saying in 1865. Now, I'm not so hard on Andrew Johnson. But people didn't believe he was going to be a great president, and uh, he did have his own personal problems. And he was intoxicated on the day of his swearing-in. Tried to make a speech, couldn't really get through it. Regardless, this is an interesting article because it does bring to light this kind of stuff. and I think it's... Uh, it's important to note that in again modern cancel culture, you have to have a you, you can't say any bad things about Abraham Lincoln. What does that say about modern American society, or in this case even British society, that you can't say something negative about an individual because that's seen as not woke or not socially correct or not politically correct? How refreshing was it in 1865 to see the paper was honest and saying, "Well, this guy was a despot, a tyrant." Yeah, he had some pretty lofty goals, but he was doing some horrible things. Why can't we say that now about Abraham Lincoln? Why does it have to be some other way? Why do we have to put Lincoln on a pedestal and deify the man? We shouldn't have to. Lincoln was problematic. Lincoln was awful in many ways, and it should be expressed that way, regardless of the outcome of anything. But, of course, you can't really do that now. All right. I wanted to get into this because, you know, how these things have changed. And another point about this, how refreshing it was when newspapers actually were pretty good to read uh, and not just a bunch of drivel as they are today, but actually had some real substance to them. 
back in the 19th century. I love reading 19th century newspapers. They're so good. And they're partisan. And that's good because you know what you're going to get before you read it. And that's fun to read. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next time for the next one. See you then.